Well, good morning. It's great to see you here today. Let's uh, pray together before we open God's Word. Father, we thank you that we can come and that we can worship together and that we can sing to you as the one who is the way maker, the miracle worker, promise keeper, the light in the darkness, because that's who you are in our lives. We thank you for the day that you open our eyes to allow us to see the truth of Jesus Christ. And we thank you that because of Jesus, we have a personal relationship with you, the living God. If that is not our story today, Father, we pray that you would work in our hearts and allow us to enter into that transforming relationship with you. We thank you, Father, for each person here. You know exactly what they're going through. You know exactly what they need. And you are the only one who can supply that need today. So we pray, Father, that you would be with us as we look at your word. Teach us as only you can do. We have come together. We've, we have sung together. We, we've interacted together. And now, before we open your word, we want to pray together as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. So Lori and I were looking for our first house, and we knew exactly what we could afford, and we were working with a realtor to show us some houses that we could afford, and we had seen a lot of houses, we knew what was in our range, and when we pulled up to this particular house on this particular day, I looked at Lori and said, there is no way in this world we could afford that. Every house we looked at, you had to tear out the carpet, you had to repaint the whole thing, there was no landscaping there, had to redo the bathrooms, but this house, it was amazing. This house was in a beautiful part of Mesquite, Texas. Uh, it, had, it was landscape, which was amazing to me. Uh, it was a pretty new neighborhood, and I just said, Lord, there's no way that, that we could afford this. Right across, the, right across the street, there was this park and a in a, in, a, in a lake and ducks in the lake. This is not our neighborhood. I can promise you that. Uh, it wasn't long before the realtor pulled up behind us and uh, I said, I think we got the wrong place here. And he said, no, it's on our list. It's in your range. And I said, let's just sign right now. I want this house. Lori said, let's just look at it first. So we walked in and it still had that new house smell. You know what? That, that's, that's a great smell, isn't it? It's like a new car. New car, new house smell. And uh, we walked in, and the, and the dining room was, was great. The little entryway was great. The, 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 the kitchen, the, the living room was great. The kitchen was perfect, just what Lori wanted. And, I uh, mean, I was ready. Let's get this house. Lori said, let's just, let's just check out the rest of it. So we go down a hallway, and Lori said, I think this hallway is slanting just a little bit. And I said, it's in your imagination. It's not slanting. <laughs> then we went into a bedroom. And actually, we went in the bedroom, and you kind of had to like, just walk down a hill to the, to the bedroom. I said, Lord, we can make this work. I promise you, we can make this work. 
So our realtor said, yeah, something's going wrong here. So let's go out and look at the side of the house. And so I remember walking outside to this beautiful landscape. I thought, man, we could just live in the yard. This is better than the most houses we've looked at. So we walked around, and there on the foundation was this huge crack, more like a crevice, or for you sophisticated people, a crevasse. <laughs> and the guy said, this is, the, this is why it's in your range. <laughs> it looks great from the outside, but um, it's got a really cracked foundation. And it's not going to, it's not going to, not even fixable. It's not going to be around for a long time. Many people build their lives on a flawed foundation, right? Worldview of naturalism leave God's out, leaves God out. Secularism says, I am God, I'll do what I want. Postmodernism says that I'm just going to make up the rules as I go. Those who build their life on pluralism say all roads lead to God. Then moralistic, therapeutic deism, God just wants me to be happy and I'll, I'll, if I need him, I'll ask for his help, but I'm really on my own. He just wants me to be happy. All those world, worldviews have a flawed or a cracked foundation. But the Christian worldview we've been talking about is Christocentric. It is centered on Christ. The foundation is not cracked. The foundation is not flawed. The foundation is perfect, it is stable, and will be stable until the end of time throughout eternity. That's what the Christian life is built upon. So the question for the Christian is, how's the construction going? How are you building on this firm foundation of Christ? We got the foundation. No flaws, no cracks, no crevasses. I love to say that word, crevasses. But how are you building on the foundation of Jesus? Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 as we continue to work our way through this letter that Paul wrote to, um, to believers uh, in, a, in a challenging culture, in a, in a challenging day. They were believers that had um, uh, Jesus as their foundation. They knew uh, his person. They knew his teaching. They knew his death. They knew his resurrection. Uh, they knew that he was the advocate before the Father. They knew he had sent his spirit to live in them. They, they knew all those things. They had this firm foundation. And that's what Paul tells them at the end of our section today. We're going to look at the first 11 verses. In verses 10 and 11, Paul says, according to the grace God has given me. Paul said, it's not about me. I didn't do this. It's not based on me. But the grace that God has given me, like a skilled master builder, that Greek word is architect, like an architect. I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. And then here's the key to our passage today. Let each one of you take care how he builds upon it. Let every one of you take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than which has been laid. And that foundation is who? Jesus, right? He is our foundation. He is the one we build upon. The Christian life is always built 
on Jesus. And so back to the question, how are you doing with your construction, the building of your life? The people Paul's writing to, they were having some issues, like everyone has issues. Paul had been at the church about four or five years earlier. He had founded the church in in Corinth. They were a prosperous city. Uh, They had everything going for them. They had their Heinz Hall, and they had their Benedum, and they had their Steelers, and they had all the sports things going on. They had all the entertainment. They had businesses galore, and they had a lot of other distractions in their culture, just like we do. And Paul was there, and he started this church, and he was there for 18 months, and so he really had the opportunity to, to teach and build into a lot of people, and then he left in a group uh, sent, were sent to him, and, and, and they said, Paul, man, some rough stuff's going on, and you need to write this letter to deal with it. And one of the things that Paul found out was that all those people who had heard the gospel, they had the foundation of Jesus, they, they, just, weren't, they just weren't building on it. They didn't have to worry about a crack foundation. They had the foundation. They just weren't building on it. So Paul says in chapter uh, 3, verse 1, but I, brothers, and that's generic, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritual people or mature people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Just think about that, how stinging that would be if you heard that. I couldn't address you as as spiritual, I couldn't address you as mature people, but people of the flesh. You, you're not of the flesh. You're, you're a new creation, but you're living like you don't know Jesus. You're in Christ. You're just infants in Christ. You have the worldview. It's Christocentric. The foundation's there, but but you're not practicing it. You're not living it out. You're keeping the worldview in a philosophical way, just thinking about it, rather than putting it into real practice. I fed you with milk, Paul says in verse 2. Not solid food, for you were not ready And Paul says, here's the real kicker. Even now, even after all these years, when I was there, I fed you with them. But even now, you're not ready. So Dave did a great job last week in talking about the sin nature and how through the Spirit we can live a life that pleases God even though we we battle the flesh within us. You've seen this illustration before, but here's where the Christian life starts. And when we're right here, we are infants in Christ. We're just getting started. All we can handle is the milk, the basic foundational truths of the Christian faith. It's interesting, the second century uh, writers said that, that when a new believer came into the church, a person trusted in Christ, their first communion, instead of the bread and the cup, like we're taking communion today, instead of the bread and the cup, you know what they gave them? A glass of milk. As a symbol, they were just getting started in their Christian life. 
And so Paul says, man, you're just getting started. You're infants. Here we are. We're, we're an infant in Christ. We are in Christ. We have this foundation. Then we start to live this life. And there are some ups and downs. We are not perfect until we are in heaven with the Lord. This part right here at the cross is where we bow down. We bow down and surrender our life to Jesus. In theology, that's called justification. God makes us right with himself through Jesus because of Jesus' work. This is called what? Sanctification. It's the growth process. If this is where we bow down, this is where we stand up and we live for Christ and we should see growth in our life. And Paul's telling the, the believers in Corinth, you bowed down to the cross, but you're still acting like little infant. You're still acting like little babies. You still got to warm up your milk. By now, you should be eating real food, but I can't give you real food because with this solid foundation, you ain't doing any building. When we grow... When we start out our Christian life as infant, the cross of Jesus, we see it through baby eyes, right? Just a little. We actually think we did all the work. I trusted in Jesus. But the more we grow, the bigger the cross gets. The more we grow, the bigger the cross gets. And the believer growing on that firm foundation of Christ should keep that focus on Jesus as we bow the cross and we stand up to walk with him. Paul says, I fed you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Even now you're not ready for it. Just think about that. The human tragedy is rejecting Jesus. Would you agree with that? Isn't that a tragedy? The Christian tragedy is accepting Jesus without a desire to serve him. Simply fire insurance. The human tragedy is seeing Jesus as just a mere man. The Christian tragedy is claiming Jesus as our Savior, the Son of God, God in the flesh, but not growing in a relationship with Him. The human tragedy is an errant world view. Isn't it a tragedy that there are people who hold to naturalism and secularism and pluralism and they think that's the truth? Isn't that a tragedy? You agree? Oh, but the real tragedy is when you know for certain that you have Jesus Christ as the foundation of your life. But you just don't do a lot of building on it. You bow down. You just haven't stood up. Growing as a Christian does not mean being in a Bible study. I want to say this. Some of you need to be in a Bible study. 
Some of you are way past going to another Bible study. You need to start applying some of the knowledge you know. Back in 1270, a guy named Thomas Aquinas wrote this book called Summa Theologica. And in it, he, 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 there were many topics in it, but one topic was um, how many uh, angels can be at the same place at one time? And so in the medieval days, there's debate on how extensive this discussion was, but there was a big discussion on, you've probably heard this, how many angels can dance on the point of a needle. You ever heard that? That was their discussion. How many angels can dance on the point of a needle? Do you know how many angels can dance on the point of a needle? No idea. And who cares? And who cares? What difference does that make in our life? And yet, there are a lot of Christians who will talk all up here about all these things, about angels dancing on the point of a needle and all these theological truth, but never, ever work on their marriage. Impurity in relationships. Not be godly parents. You see, it's, when, you, when you build... You just don't go and sit and talk about the plans. You actually go get something done. And so Paul's saying, Corinthians, I gave you the milk. You needed the milk at one time. It's time to grow up. So last week we had our little grandson with us, one of our grandsons. He's a little baby. He still is on the milk. So... What do we do? We feed him milk. If you put a hamburger in front of him, he doesn't know what to do with the thing. So we talk to him like a baby. We feed him like a baby. We treat him like a baby. You know why? Because he's a baby. He is an infant. Our four-year-old granddaughter, she can handle solid food. She can wolf down a chick filet kids meal just like that <clears throat> vanilla shake only if it has whipped cream and a straw and a uh, cherry on top not a cherry you got to send it back that's a problem <laughs> so paul says spiritually speaking i wish i could take you through the drive through at chick-fil-a but instead we're still warming up the bottle that's a christian tragedy isn't it Men and women who have the foundation of Jesus Christ, but no spiritual maturation. And Paul says that the tragedy is when you're, when, you, when you're doing that, you know what? You can't really tell if you're a Christian or not. It looks more like you are, you are walking in accordance with man. It looks more like you are living like fallen humanity without the Spirit's influence. So one of the observations I'd make here is this. Spiritual maturity has nothing to do with how long you've been a Christian. Spiritual maturity has everything to do with how you're growing as a Christian. You can tell me you've been a Christian since you were five years old. That's fantastic. Tell me how you've grown. 
because there are a lot of immature Christians who have been Christians for 40 years and still on the milk. Now, Paul says, just in case you guys reading this letter don't believe what I'm saying, or in case you're not quite tracking with me, let me give you an example of an issue that's in the church that you need to deal with. And so Paul says in verse 3, here's the example. You don't believe me that you're not building? You don't believe me? You're still on milk? Here's the example. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh behaving only in a human way? There's jealousy among you. There's strife among you. There are divisions among you. You're still talking about, I follow Apollos, he says in verse 5, or I follow Paul's servants to whom you have believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted and Apollos watered, but only God can give the growth. I won't take time for it, but interestingly, in um, Galatians uh, chapter uh, 6, or 5 rather, there's a whole list. Uh, it, It talks about works of the flesh. And Paul says, the works of the flesh are evident. And then he goes to the whole list, sexual immorality, impurity, all all these things. And in that list are these two words right here, strife and jealousy. That's the way the world works. That's what the world does. And Paul says, you are in Christ, there's no doubt about it, you have this fantastic, firm, eternal foundation, you're in Christ not acting like it. So when someone looks at you, they don't see the foundation, they see your actions and it looks more like the world. You look like you're living a life in human standards rather than the standards of Jesus. You know, I was thinking um, Corinth in the South Hills, it's kind of, they're a lot alike. Corinth had all the prosperity and all the stuff just like we have. And I was thinking, where where is it harder, think about it, where is it harder to be a Christian? Is it harder to be a Christian in a persecuted land or the South Hills of Pittsburgh? Well, certainly, if we thought right now someone was going to bust through those doors and take us to prison, that would have a set of challenges, wouldn't it? But there might not be as many people here. Because in a persecuted land, you are either in or you're out. You don't pretend, you don't play around with the Christian life. You're in or out. But in our culture, and in the Corinthian culture, you can kind of get by with just playing around with Christianity, right? You can look a lot like the world, and it's fine. And that's what Paul's saying here. The Christian life is different. The Christian life does things differently. Those words, jealousy and strife, we'll see in a minute, are based on following different people. But at at base, jealousy and strife is what? I'm going to do what I want to do. When I want to do it, I'm going to get my own way. I have the foundation of Jesus. I'm just going to live kind of like I'm a postmodern. I get to call my shots. You know what? If I take the bottle the rest of my Christian life, that's fine. Because then I'll get to do what I want to do. You see, growing as a Christian is different. Transformed. 
new creature. And so we do marriage differently. We keep our marriages together, or should. Right? Parenting differently. Because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean we do that. We do our finances differently. It's not just spending everything we have on bigger, better, faster, but we realize God's given all of that to us, and so we, we respond back to him in and, and, and worship. Christian life is lived differently. So Paul says, here's the deal. These two groups, we've talked about this earlier, are still following men rather than God. You've got this foundation of Jesus, but you got your eyes on other people. Look at verses 5 and 6. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants to whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted. Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or he who waters anything, but God who gives the growth. It's not about people. It's about Jesus. So, how many of you have heard of Kanye West? Anybody? Raise your hands high. Be, be proud that you have heard of Kanye. American rapper, singer, producer, fashion designer, married to Kim Kardashian. And um, he professed several years ago uh, to be a Christian. And, uh, you know, he, he, he's a celebrity, so he's, everything he says is, is uh, taken note of. Last October, so a month ago, Wes said, in regards to his past, he tried to serve, quote, God of ego, God of money, God of pride, God of fame, and he said it drove him crazy. He said, I didn't even know what it meant to be saved. But now he says, I love Jesus, I love Jesus Christ, and I love Christianity, quote. West's latest album, Jesus is King, was released on October 25, and uh, it debuted as the number one on all the Billboard album charts. So with all that, what's been happening on social media? The non-Christians have been saying, eh, seriously? Kanye West. But what have the Christians been saying? And blasting the guy. He's only doing it to sell records. He's not for real. And blasting the guy. Now, I don't know. I can't see into your heart or Kanye West's heart. All I know is this. If you came up to me after the service and said, you know, there was a time I didn't even think I was saved, but I got to tell you today, I love Jesus Christ. And we walked away from that conversation, and someone asked me, hey, so-and-so, I saw so-and-so at church, are they a believer? And I said, well, I can tell you, all I know is this. They came up after the service and told me how much they loved Jesus Christ. We only know the proclamation, right? So all I would say is pray for Kanye West like we pray for each other, right? But here's my point. 
Kanye West's trust in Jesus Christ is great, but it doesn't validate Jesus. Jesus validates himself. Connor, the running back for the Steelers, it's fantastic that he can talk about his faith, but that doesn't make Christianity for real because a football player is a Christian. Or Russell Wilson for the Seahawks, or Drew Brees for the Saints, or whoever else. Whatever celebrity. And isn't it amazing as Christians, when a celebrity becomes a Christian, we say, oh, this is fantastic. Finally, Jesus has been validated. That's what milk drinkers do. Paul says, we're not about following people. Worshiping people is a false worship. Worshiping people is false worship. People will always disappoint you. People will always disappoint you. But Jesus Christ never will. And not only is it idol worship to bow before a person other than Jesus, but think about this. It's just as much idol worship to allow another Christian from keeping you following hard after Jesus. I was talking to a guy uh, last week and we had a mutual friend and I said, where in the world has he been? Well, you see, about 10 years ago, he was involved in someone at the church. They did something he didn't think was right, and so he didn't come back. Seriously. So you're going to allow a fallen human being to keep you from your relationship with Jesus. That's idol worship. Don't judge Jesus on the people he came to save. You don't need to validate him with celebrities, and you don't need to compare him with everyone who follows him. Jesus, Paul says, is our foundation. He's it. And when we keep our eyes on him, then our lenses are clear. So we keep our eyes off of others and keep others from causing us to stumble. So some of you right now have people who control your life because they hurt you in some way. And your anger and your bitterness wells up all the time. And when their name is mentioned, it's like kaboom. It's all back, right? I, I, I got it too. That's the struggle. That's what Dave was talking about last week. And when we do that, we are, we are holding on to the very thing that keeps us from focusing on Jesus because he never disappoints us, right? He never leaves us. He never walks away from a marriage. He never walks away from a family. 
He always gives us exactly what we need right when we need it. And we'll always stay on the milk unless we keep our eyes on Jesus. Other people will always disappoint us. Look at verse 10. Back to where we started. According to the grace that God has given me. Paul said this all started with the grace of God. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I can't keep it. It's God who brings me to himself and it's God who keeps me there. It was given to me. Free gift. Like a skilled master builder. Now God gave me some gifts. That word there in the Greek is architect. I'm an architect, spiritual architect. I laid this foundation. I I gave you the spiritual milk, the basic teaching. And someone else is building on it now. But then Paul says this, let each one take care how he builds upon it. Let's focus on that for a little bit. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. A person who simply trusts in Christ, which is fantastic, but stays there, lives their life as a spiritual infant. Next time, we're going to talk about the dangers of that and what that looks like. But for today, let's talk about how we can grow from our spiritual infancy and begin to build on the foundation of Jesus, all right? Five things that I want to tell you, share with you, that you can do to begin to build on the foundation of Christ. And, and I'll tell you, and I hope you're not offended, if you're not doing these things, you're still taking the bottle, You're a believer, but you're on the bottle. And you're going to make messes. Babies make messes, right? Not just in the church. You're going to make messes in your life. So here are five things. Basic things. Foundational things. We've got to do if we're going to grow. Number one, you have to be reading God's word, right? There's just no other, there's no other starting place. No other starting place. God's word, his love letter to us, which is authenticated in externally with external evidence and internal evidence. God's word is available to us to read every day. My goodness, if you don't even take time to read it in a page, you can put it on your app. And if you don't even have time to read it on your app, you can have someone in any language, I like the English language, <laughs> dialect, uh, share it with you, right? What excuse would we have not to, we don't have an excuse not to be in God's word every day. But you've got to make that decision. There's no ministry here at the Bible Chapel that can help you with that. That is a get up in the morning or noon or evening and set your rear end down and read God's word. It's a discipline of the Christian life. But you will be a spiritual infant 
unless you take time to absorb God's word. It's just that simple, right? So it starts with the word, right? So you got to make that decision. What are you going to do? To be in God's word every day. Number two, worship. We have to be those. Worship means to bow down, and we have to be and surrender. We have to be those who bow down and surrender. The word worship means to make heavy, make a big deal of God in our life every day. Now, this is cool, coming to church, right? This is fun. I mean, I'm having a good time. I don't know if you are, but I'm having a good time. So this is fun coming together. But this is like just a, a little blip of our week, right? How many of you, um, how many of you remember those old Hot Wheel uh, tracks? Those are so cool. Put them together. You put them all the way through your house. Wind them through bedrooms and stuff. It was so fun. And in a Hot Wheel track, so, so the, the car started at the top, right, and went for a while. But then you strategically placed what? Those little turbo things. Those little wheels that were spinning. And then it would, it, the car would start slowing down and shoot it out of there. And then it'd go to the next one and then shoot it out of there. That's what worship on a Sunday is, right? It's a Hot Wheel turbo thing. We, get, we, we come together, we encourage each other, we sharpen each other, we sing songs together. I mean, where else do you, other than a bar, where else do you go sing songs together? Right? But we get to sing real songs to a real God from the bottom of our heart. Nothing like singing. It, it's some like somewhere between heaven and earth, right? But then worship continues Monday morning when you pull up at school and you got to say, today I'm going to live for Jesus and I may feel like the only one doing it. When you pull up to work and you walk in and you got to make some really hard decisions because you're not going to compromise yourself. Young people, when you're in a relationship and every fiber of your being wants to do some things that you know you shouldn't do and you say, God, I need your help because I'm going to keep this thing pure. When you're in a marriage that's going through a challenging time and you're tempted to bail but you say, As a believer, I don't bail. As a believer, I stay committed. As a believer, I'll sacrifice other things to make sure this relationship that I stood before God and said for better or worse, richer or poor, sickness and in health, I'm going to nourish this thing. That's worship. Worship is great. This is the turbocharge. But worship is every day making certain that I surrender to God in every aspect of my life. Some of you, your first act of worship will be trying to get out of the parking lot today. (laughs) So be nice. Honor God getting out of here. Connect. Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. Word worship, connect. Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. If you're alone, you're in a dangerous spot.
God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And he wasn't just talking about marriage. Find people alone in scripture like David in the middle of 2 Samuel and you'll find a man getting ready to sin. Ecclesiastes says two are always better than one because there's great reward for their work. Pity them, pity the person, right, who falls down and what? Has no one to help him up. And you know what? Everyone in this room is going to fall down sometime. And you're going to need someone to help you up. Loneliness is an epidemic in our world. It should never be an epidemic in the church. Word, worship, connect, serve. God has given you a gift and you gotta use it to serve. 1 Peter 4.10. God's given you a special gift. A gift to use for him. A spiritual gift that you can use in serving the body of Christ. We get to do that. When we stand up here and say we need people to serve, we're not saying we need some breathing bodies to fill a spot in a classroom or a greeter or a guide or a parking lot or whatever. Tech. We're saying God has given you a special gift and only, only when you use that gift. I don't think some of you believe this. Only when you use that, when you use the gift God has given you, there is nothing like it. There's absolutely nothing like it. It's like, I get to do this? I can't wait to do it again. It's energizing. When you're using the gift God has given you, and some of you will will just be taking warm milk until you find your gift. We have places to find your gift. Let us know. Call us. Go on the website, do a gift assessment. We'll meet with you. If you want to get started in a Christian walk, Greg DeVore, it's on the program in your sermon notes in your program. Uh, email Greg DeVore. He'll help you get started. You do not have to stay drinking warm milk. Number five, sharing the message of Jesus. So here's a question. It's a convicting one. When's the last time you told another person about Jesus? When's the last time you told another person about a cool restaurant? A restaurant. When's the last time you told a person about how their life could be transformed by God who loved you so much? He sent his son to die for you on a cross. See, we don't have to We don't have to stay drinking milk. We got this, every believer, we've got this firm foundation. It doesn't change. Jesus Christ, he's not cracked or flawed. But how are we doing on the building? Communion is a time when we examine our hearts, and so I'm going to ask you to do that today. Brad Ryan on our staff is going to come and lead us in communion here in just a second. If you're a believer, you can take the cup and the bread. If you're not, let it pass. We would invite you to trust in Christ today. We'd love to talk with you about that after the service. But today, I want, as believers, I want, you to, I want you to deal with this question. I got the foundation, right? How am I doing on the building? How am I doing on the structure? Am I still drinking milk? 
or am I eating spiritual, solid food? Father, do your work in our hearts today. Help us be those who are honest with ourselves and honest with you. And then, Lord, give us, give us whatever it takes to, to do something, to change, to do the things that you've called us to do. Be with us during this time, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.